focus on two individuals who were in some kind of disagreement, as you recall, but which we don't know what that disagreement was about there in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. We do know that they were summonsed to work it out uh, because they should have been able to agree on one common good, and that common good is the Lord Jesus Christ. But we found out that Philippians, as in other parts of God's word, uh, that it, it, it does not leave it right there, that you're supposed to just simply work it out. But it, it, uh, the word of God pushes them, and it pushes us as his disciples to settle these disputes Right and put them into the hands of other people in the body of Christ. Right. In other words, when we get involved in a mess, uh, that when we can't quite make it beyond that, we're constantly fighting that other people should get involved within the church, hopefully those who are mature. Because it's not good for two people to remain deadlocked in conflict affecting the entire culture of the church. So it was critical, not just a mild thing, but it was critical, it is critical for the church to get involved in these types of things. And again, this was to assist in the overall unity of the body of Christ, which is why that if we are Christians... Right, And we are clear on the word of God that we should not sit idly by to allow other aspects or other veins of Christianity to say things that are not Christian. It is up to us. Uh, we should not say that I'm not getting involved in that, but we should dive head first, especially when we have our heads turned on correctly. But now Paul, he turns his attention back to the church. So he talked about those ladies last time. But now he turns his attention back to the church as a whole. Because he says, as a church, we should get to this place of peace. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. The word of God tells us, always be full of joy in the Lord. Philippians 4 and 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, what does he say? He say what? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let's say that together, please. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, one more time, nice and loud. Here we go. Rejoice. This is not some type of rejoicing that we are drumming up out of nothing. As a believer, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that our rejoicing that it has a ground of truth based on Christ, the solid rock. It is idea for believers, it's idea for you and me uh, that we should be full of joy. 
that when people see us, that we should not uh, be uh, walking around with these long faces. That as a believer, that people should want to experience what you have. Uh, they should want what you have. Why are you like this? Uh, how can I get what you have? So if you're walking around mad and mean and all uh, uh, ugly face, why would somebody want to be like that? Why would someone, uh, someone want to be like someone who's always contentious in spirit? This verse begins with Paul directing the believers, us, to rejoice in the Lord. And we can understand what rejoicing means because we know how it feels when we get good news, don't we? Now, people don't have to give us a defining definition of what joy or rejoicing is. When good news comes our way, uh, then we jump up for joy. We can rejoice because of what we have done or a position we are in or we can rejoice over the good news which happens to us or someone else that we know and love. We can rejoice. But listen to this though. The word rejoice is a sibling of the word grace. Huh. The word rejoice or joy is a sibling word of the word grace. Remember what grace is? Grace is what? We define it as the unmerited what? Favor of God. Uh, when we receive the unmerited favor of God, we can rejoice. Huh, isn't that something? When God gives us something that we do not deserve, we should be happy about it. Amen. I had some friends uh, last night. Uh, a friend of mine says, uh, 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 I'm in contention for winning a million dollars. And he had a smile on his face. I'm like, really? I'm like, well, I guess congratulations. I said, so how are you getting this money? Musician friend of mine. He says, uh, they sent me a notice, uh, Publishers uh, Clearinghouse, that says that I'm in contention for winning, uh, 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 in a running for winning one million dollars. He says, so I'm going to go ahead and, I know he's getting old now, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and put those stickers on the thing and send it in and whatever. I'm like, why don't you just do it on the internet for starters, right? Uh, and maybe I'll go ahead and order a couple of magazines because he's looking at the end game and he's saying, if I do this, then there's a, a possibility I will get that. I will get that $1 million. But imagine though, Tomorrow you walked to your mailbox or wherever you receive your mail and there is a notice from the federal government with a check that they owed you for a substantial amount. Would you not rejoice? If you found out that you were getting a promotion on your job, okay, here it is, you said, well, I'll get a promotion, but what, what kind of money are you going to get with me, you know? Uh, promotion is good, but if you're getting promotion on your job and it's everything that you want, you would rejoice. If you discover that your child who had been struggling in school is now on the honor roll, you would rejoice. 
for. You rejoice if your doctor tells you that you're getting better. You would jump up for joy. Those and so many more are reasons to be happy and to be in the celebratory mood. So rejoicing is uh, the result of something good happening to us or someone that we know. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let's think of this in the context of what Paul has been talking about. We've already talked about the two ladies, right? Remember them, Euodia and Syntyche from verses 2 and 3 from Philippians chapter 4? But then also go back a little bit further, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, in which Paul was contemplating the fact that, you know, he may not live very long. Remember that? Paul says, even though I may not live very long, he says that I'm in a win-win situation. He says, whether I die to go be with the Lord or whether I remain here in order to encourage you to see you grow in the faith, that this is all good news. Man, who can have an outlook like that? If, if our outlook was like that, you know, nothing can stop us. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, people who have really high level of courage, this is what I think anyway, this is not scientific, and that is that uh, they're simply not afraid of dying. You know, when you're not afraid of dying, then it's like no holes bars, and you just go ahead and do what you have to do. Amen? When it doesn't even bother you anymore, you just do what you have to do, and you say what you have to say. This is why, uh, if you're younger, you're always trying to figure out that why do, why do old people always say everything that's on their mind? Because they don't care no more. See, when you're younger, you care about what everybody says, right? And you're careful because you think they're going to think this about you, so on and so forth. But when you get older, sometimes, not everybody, there, there's some nice older people in the world as well, right, uh, that simply don't care what other people think about. They have been released, and we all need to live in that same freedom. So Paul says that he was in a win-win situation. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1.21. So while all of this talk about the end... And conflict can be very disconcerting to believers uh, to think about. We must move forward. In fact, think of yourself when you hear some of these messages and, and how they make you feel. You know, uh, I've gone to churches in, in my past where every message was a positive message. Amen? Amen. Preacher ain't never said anything that I didn't want to hear. I just always felt good. And then when I started reading the Bible, I'm like, well, you know what? That don't make me feel too good. And I started reading more. I'm like, well, wait a minute. That don't make me feel too good. Oh, well, over here, oh, that makes me feel real good. So oftentimes, we can pick and choose what, how, what we decide how it's going to make us feel on the inside. But God says, I want you to take the full force of my word. Because this is the way that God relates to the body of Christ. 
We have been called to a higher standard for which the Holy Spirit desires to bring us to a place of sanctification uh, or, or like being like Christ. This is why he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, have the same mind which was in Christ. He's calling us to be better. We should constantly be in a state of spiritual progress regardless of the circumstances that are thrown our way. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes in life it gets tough, doesn't it? Sometimes you just want to give up. Sometimes you, you, you just want to throw up the surrender flag, the white surrender flag, and say, this is it. I've had enough of this. I'm not taking another step. But Paul says to imitate him. First he says imitate Christ there in Philippians 2.5. And then in Philippians 3.17 it says to imitate Paul. Why? Because Paul is imitating Jesus Christ. So be in that constant state of spiritual progress, regardless of what your circumstances may be. This is the reason why we can rejoice in the Lord always. You know, how is it possible that you can rejoice in the Lord when your circumstances says otherwise? Because Jesus Christ has won the ultimate battle for me. Jesus has won the ultimate battle for you. This is why we're able to have this attitude. This is not a seminar on positive thinking. This is a reality because it is on Christ, the solid rock, we what? We stand. And because we stand there, because Jesus has already uh, paved the way, we can rejoice in the Lord always. We have a reason to have joy, have a reason to be happy. Paul says in Romans 8, 37, you are more than conquerors in him that loves you. You are more than a conqueror in him, in Christ, in God that loves you. But then Paul, he, again, he just doesn't leave it there. He, he, he doesn't just simply say, rejoice in the Lord always. He says again, again, I will say, rejoice. And you know that if you've studied, uh, uh, if you've been in Bible study with me, that one of the laws that we see very clearly in Bible study is that of repetition. Anytime it's something that re is repeated, that means it's emphasized, that means it's something worthy to be paid attention to. So if the Word of God says rejoice in the Lord always, then it says again, I will say rejoice. That tells us that we should be people who are able to rejoice. When was the last time you rejoiced in the Lord? Instead of always saying, oh me, oh my. What does that tell you, brothers and sisters? What does this say about the attitudes we should have concerning our life in Christ and also the future outlook. It is true that you may not be where you want to be today. It is true 
that you were not where you wanted to be yesterday. But one thing that we know, that in Christ Jesus, that one day we will get there. Amen? So you may not, wanna, you may not be there now, right? You may have had a string of disappointments in your life, but one thing that you can rejoice in the midst of all that, and that is Christ has you in his hand, and nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Nothing. Nothing can, can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. Nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Wait a minute. Is it the Father? Is this Jesus? Yeah. It is. So be known as a person who does what is right with the proper attitude. Be known as a person who does what is right with the proper or the right attitude. Philippians 4, verse 5, says here, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. In the message, it reads like this. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Working with them and not against them. You know, some people are just contrary, just for the sake of being contrary. I got to admit to you that when I was younger, I was like that. When I was younger, I was like, I was, I was sometimes I was just contrary just to be contrary, just because I could. You know young people, right? Sometimes some young people, they think they know everything. And my mother used to always tell me, she used to say, David, uh, you don't believe that fat meat is greasy, do you? She told me that all the time. You, you just don't, you don't believe nothing I say, do you? I'm like, yeah. And I would just be contrary just to be contrary. Imagine how that would drive, how that drives a parent crazy. Some people are, are that way because they just want to exercise that right as a human being and no one can tell them different. And this is the type of person you don't want to approach and you don't want to say anything to because if you say something to them it, it, that appears to be just the slightest bit off, uh, then, then they become totally undone. <laughs> when we come across a person such as that, we often say, Oh, you don't want to talk with them for very long because they're just going to twist everything that you say to something that is simply just not reasonable. And this is frustrating, isn't it? You try to help people walk things through where things make sense. It's hard, especially when you're trying to get things done. But in life, brothers and sisters, it's necessary to negotiate. It's necessary to negotiate within a marriage especially uh, if you want to be married for very long, amen? Because sometimes you have your way, and other times what? You have your way. <laughs> no, no, wait a minute. I, I didn't mean to say no. And other times you don't have your way. That's what I meant to say. Let me get that straight now. Else I have to negotiate once I leave church today. So uh, 
again, it, it, it almost sounds as if Paul returns to this tip between those two ladies. Remember those two ladies, verses 2 and 3? And I believe uh, that if we would hear from, from Euodia and Syntyche, that they would probably say today that it really wasn't worth it. Sometimes it just takes a while just to think about those things. But then they would also say it was probably important, uh, the lesson of their disagreement being in Scripture is probably important for us to learn. Amen? Yet Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Brothers and sisters, whether you like it or not, something is going to be known about you. One day, uh, some people are going to stand over you and they're going to say good things about you and think another thing about you. Sometimes they will say other things outside of the room about you. Sometimes uh, they will say things about you today while you are standing upright. Something is going to be known about you. What do people say about you when you leave the room? Of course, if you are concerned about that, and you constantly then it'll drive you nuts. But do you even care? If Paul included aspects of your life in Scripture, what would it say about you? Would it be something good as a model for Christian living? Or would that aspect of your life be an admonition to the rest of the church for a millennium to come? Would the word of God refer to you as someone who does what is fair-minded and appropriate? At least would God's word track your growth as a Christian over the course of the years? Because some people that are mentioned once and then they disappear from Scripture, uh, right? Uh, so will Scripture track your life? Would it say something good about you? That, yeah, even though they failed in the beginning, that they learned later. All of this is important because the Lord expects us to grow and keep tabs on our progress. Whereas now, a, a lack of growth may not be the determining factor for getting into heaven. The expectation is that in your life, you should grow. I know over the years, there have been some people that have had a crisis of faith. I've known some people like that. I have known some people, uh, and I've shared with you before, in seminary who had crises of faith. But I've also known some people who have turned around after they've had that crisis and come back to the Lord stronger than ever. But if you don't know the Lord, I invite you to realize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. That Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, he died for you. He was risen from the dead on the third day, right? They also buried him, but he was risen from the dead on the, uh, the third day. And he died just for us, but he also lives. For that, we can also rejoice. Be reasonable, brothers and sisters, because our Lord Jesus is at hand. He is at hand in proximity and in time. In other words, in presence, uh, but also in uh, the time in which he's going to call this whole thing to an end. Scripture tells us 
Whenever two or three are gathered in his name, there he will be in the midst of them. Matthew 18 and 20. Whether two or three are gathered in his name, uh, he will be in the midst of them at that time. And there's more than two and three, two or three in us in this place today. But I also believe that sometimes we throw Jesus' word around without thinking it through. So I want you to place these words in your heart. In John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. We saw what happened after the resurrection when the disciples were gathered together. What happened there? Jesus appeared to them. In John chapter 21, verse 1, what happened at the Sea of Tiberias when Simon Peter, John, and four of the disciples were together? Jesus showed up. In Acts chapter 2, what happened when the disciples gathered together in the upper room? The Holy Spirit showed up. And we can repeat this scenario over and over again and discover God is present in an even more intensified fashion when we are on one accord desiring to seek his face. We may not see Jesus just walk through these walls or, or walk through the back door or the front door. We may not see that, but we know uh, the Spirit of God is present with us. Therefore, we see the Lord, that he's near in time and in proximity to his people, especially when they are gathered together. Remember that the Lord is near. Moving on. Stop getting worked up about every little thing. Say it again. Stop getting worked up about every little bitty thing. Did you all hear me? Uh, stop getting worked up about every little Thing. Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So Paul says, don't be anxious about how many things? Five? Well, does he say, don't be anxious about two things? What does he say? Don't be anxious about... Is that hard? Because I know even coming to church, sometimes we have things on the back burners of our mind about our life about our children, about our wives, about our parents, right? About our jobs, about our finances, about our homes. There's so many things that are all piled up in the back of our mind. And to be quite frank, uh, they make us anxious. Concerned about our future? Is it possible to live an anxious free life? I got to say this because we live in an ever-increasing, uh, anxiety-written world. Everything about it, you know, uh, 
your computer, make sure that you have antivirus software. You got that? Okay, you got that down. Okay, make sure that you have software in your computer uh, that keeps you safe on the Internet. Got that straight? Okay. All right, make sure you have uh, uh, com uh, software in your computer that goes and digs all into your machine. Make sure there's nothing that was left there from the last time before you installed it last time. All right, got all that straight? Okay. Make sure that you have a cloud backup just in case something happened to your machine and you can pull it down. Uh, make sure that you're okay, right? And then the cloud company, what they do, when you send your information to the cloud, do you think that you're sending it to one location? Uh-uh. They say, you know what? What we're going to do, we, you're going to send your information to us, and when you send it to us, it's going to be a, in a mountain somewhere in Colorado. But then we're going to make sure that nothing happens to that mountain in Colorado, and then we're going to send your information all the way to Europe somewhere in the mountain underground. Redundancy, that's what they call it. You know, we live in an anxiety-ridden world. Stuff just enough to make us nuts. Are you full of anxiety? But first, I, I, I need to say this, right? I need to say that a little anxiety is part of a normal life, right? Because if you don't have a little anxiety about certain things, then you can be in danger. For instance, if you don't have a little anxiety about walking against the traffic light uh, on a major uh, intersection in an urban city, then there's something wrong with you. If you don't have, I, I remember one year I, I was in Japan, I was in Tokyo, and, uh, and I was just, you know, I, I was doing my thing, and, and I thought I had, I'm walking down the street all by myself, and I'm about to cross the street. And uh, 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 I looked to the left, I'm like, ain't no cars coming, right? And I'm just, I, I was just free as a bird, right? I step out of there, all of a sudden I hear this car, and he was coming this way. He could, and I jumped up off the curve back onto the sidewalk. I said, oh, that's right, here in, in Japan, traffic goes reverse. I almost got killed out there in Japan. Who want to die in Japan? I don't want to die there. I didn't have enough anxiety. Not having a little anxiety can get you killed. You've got to be anxious when a dog runs into the street while you're driving. You should be anxious when you notice that you go to a restaurant and the person who's preparing your food, they got dirt all under their nails. Would you eat that? I wouldn't. Or, or they have a cold and they're sneezing and they're sweating all on your food. I would have a little anxiety. That can kill you. You don't know what they got. A little anxiety can keep you healthy and alive. Can you say amen to that? But we're not talking about your everyday variety, your everyday garden variety of anxiety. We ain't talking about that. Here are a few symptoms of an anxiety-written life. Here they are. You're feeling nervous, restless, or tense. You always have an impending sense of danger, panic, or doom. Always. An increased heart rate, and you breathe rapidly. You're sweating. I'm sweating now, but it's not because I'm anxious. It's because I'm hot. Trembling. Feeling tired or weak. 
trouble concentrating or thinking about anything else except for right now. You can't sleep. You have stomach problems. You avoid people or things that trigger your anxiety. Prolonged exposure to an anxiety-written life can lead to medical problems, which none of us desire to have, but here they are. Heart disease, diabetes, 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 thyroid issues, COPD, asthma, drug abuse, chronic pain, and again, stomach problems. Now, I said all that, those are some uh, physical manifestations of uh, a person who is anxiety-written, uh, but I haven't even began to talk about the psychological problems. Psychological problems, see? Remember again, however, I'm not talking about your everyday garden variety of anxiety. I'm talking about that stuff that's happening all the time. When Paul says, uh, uh, be anxious about nothing, he's talking about this consistent thing that's going on, right, all the time. He's saying, don't be anxious all the time, every step of the way, that you can't even exist because you're always hyped up. You know, have you known people like that? This is what he's talking about. Talking about anxiety that plagues your everyday life. And this is the point of Scripture. Anxiety may be caused by a feeling that you're simply not in control. The truth of the matter is, you have a lot less control over life than you think about anyway. Looking at Paul, we could easily see he had plenty of opportunities to be anxious. He was sitting up in prison, not knowing when the last day uh, on earth would be for him. You be, can become anxious about life when you're sitting around repeating the same old thing day after day. Some parents get over-involved in the life of their children because they're so anxious, and then their children end up being anxious children. Well, I'm like that because my... Uh, my mother is like that. Well, I'm like that because my father was like that. No, you're like that uh, because you took on something that they forced upon you, not necessarily by force, but you learned of them. Talking about generational curse, that's a generational curse. That's my belief of it. Instead of becoming anxious, what did Paul do? He wrote scripture. He allowed the Holy Spirit to mature the church instead of uh, keep, keeping his mind on that negative situation, being in prison. How do you respond when life makes you nervous? How do you respond? You want to talk about anxiety? Boy, do I have a story for you. Last week, my computer crashed. Guess what? I was working on this message. Yep. While I was working on this message in the course of that period of time, my computer crashed. And it wasn't your typical crash. It was one that fried my motherboard. Now, some of you are probably saying, what were you doing with your motherboard? Well, I didn't do anything wrong, but it, anyway, it, it got fried. And when I tried to go back and, you know, work through the whole process and get everything, it was just, it was like, dead, dead, dead. But I worked with it about two days trying to work through a, a set of processes that I have in order to get, it, get everything back 
up and going, going into the bias and all other type of thing and just nothing. It was just not responding to reality. Man, I, I did everything. But this, is, this is the space where I work. And it was, it was beginning to create a lot of anxiety until I finally realized that, well, I'm going to have to rebuild the computer. So I had to put in a new motherboard in the computer. It's, it's up and running now, and it's better than ever. It's like the $12 million man now, right? It's, it's absolutely beautiful now, right? It's just amazing, you know, technology. But in the midst of that, I could have been really just out of sorts. My wife will tell you in the midst of this week, I still went about my business. I, I started working on a laptop like the same day it crashed. I just started working on a laptop. You know, had stuff in the cloud. I was just working on a laptop, looking at that dead piece of equipment there, just looking at it. You know, I work and I look at it, and I'm like, you got to do something about it, right? Went on, I, I worked out five days out the week. I started a new class, learning in a new class this past week as well. I did all of that, all, all while that piece of furniture was sitting in my office. And eventually I said, well, I guess I got to get to it. And interesting, I wasn't necessarily thinking about not being anxious, because wouldn't that have been bad? Wouldn't that have been really bad if I'd been really anxious about that and nervous that I wouldn't be able to come and preach today because uh, that thing just threw me for a loop? But God is good. Can you say amen? That's why we can say thank goodness for the clouds and all the other backups, right? Uh, because all of my work was there, and after I got it rebuilt, I just I rebuilt. I just kept on working like nothing ever happened, except faster. Amen. But Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. The anxiety he speaks of is that repeated, recurring one which constantly plagues our life. But how can we deal with anxiety in a way that doesn't cause us to go crazy? Because our kids can cause us to go crazy. Life can cause us to shut down physically, emotionally, psychologically. Life can do this to us. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is the key to an anxiety-free life. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is key to an anxiety-free life. Again, Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We talk about prayer, but we often pray, but we see it in a different way. Do we ever understand prayer as a way to reduce anxiety? One of the things that helped me to reduce anxiety about other people, I pray for them. If I sense that uh, I'm being anxious about someone, you know what I do? I pray for them. I told you that last time. This is, uh, this is the way that God gives you that freedom. Pray for that person that spitefully used them, use you. Pray for them. And oftentimes what I will discover is that God may not change them, but God will do what? He will change you. You say, well, I don't want to change. Because they were wrong. I'm not changing anything. Uh, no, no. But God calls us to pray for those who are against us. 
Pray for those leaders. Pray for them. In a roundabout way, I think most believers understand it to be true, but may not approach prayer in that way, in that sense that I'm praying, Lord, because I just want to be in your presence and I want to talk to you because I love you. Not because you want, always want something from him. God is not your uh, celestial Santa Claus. Part of our problem is the fact that we may be so anxious about a set of circumstances that uh, they are too big to manage and, and we can't get anything else off, off our mind because this anxiety that's plaguing our world, that's plaguing our life. Uh, some people face problems. You know how they do it? They face it with empty minds. Because they say they, they, they want to meditate. They're going to clear everything out their minds. Anybody ever tell you that? You reject that in the name of Jesus. Can you say Amen. Anybody ever tell you to get rid of everything in your mind where you're totally clear uh, and you're not thinking about anything, you're just empty, just a total empty vessel, you reject that in the name of Jesus. That is not of God. Because the Word of God tells us to keep our minds stayed on Him. So if God tells us to keep our minds stayed on Him, and someone tells us to empty our minds, then that very instruction to empty our mind goes against what God tells us to do. You see, because the end result of emptying your mind, when you finish emptying your mind, guess what? Your problem's still there. Amen? They, they ain't going nowhere. You can empty your mind all you want to. You can take out the garbage all day long, but if you never sweep up the chicken bones off the floor of your house, it's always going to stink and look like a mess. Amen? So keep our minds stayed on Jesus as we face the anxieties of life head on by getting our help from him. And this is why, as a believer, you don't have to be anxious. Because I said, no, even sometimes you're concerned about where you live, sometimes the medicine that you take, the amount of money that's coming in, the amount of taxes that's going out, it's just, it's just non-stop. But keep your mind stayed on the Lord because it's difficult to get help from emptiness. How are you going to get help from nothing? Because nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Our passage tells us instead of being anxious to go to the Lord in prayer with supplication and thanksgiving. So prayer is the act of communicating with the Lord. And the content of that prayer is up to you. However, again, prayer is not that time of just asking him, but also from hearing from him and wanting to know what, uh, uh, what he desires of you. But then it says supplication, right? So the act of prayer is just being with God. The act of supplication is the actual request that you make. And when you ask him, you realize his strength and your weakness. And again, you can't get help from a point of emptiness. Know that God is real, and he is real, and he will reward. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews eleven six. 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. 
And then finally, peace is yours by standing in right relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if you want to know peace, know Jesus. If you want to know peace, you have to know Jesus. But those who don't have Jesus, if there is no Jesus, there is no peace. Yeah, there's a lot of pretend peace out here all, all over the place. There's pretend, there's talking about fake, there's fake peace all over the place. But those of us who have Christ, those who know Jesus Christ, we have the ability of knowing peace. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is why, this is one of my favorite scriptures. Be anxious for nothing. Be fearful about nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds to Christ Jesus. God will give you that peace in your heart. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. God is your peace. He is Jehovah. And here it is. What? Jehovah Shalom. Yehovah Shalom. That's who God is. He is uh, the God, the God, God of Peace, Jehovah Shalom. The way to approach your anxiety is through Jesus, and by doing so, you will discover the spiritual health that you have been missing. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 93. Psalm 93. Psalm 93, beginning in verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O oh Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Uh, you, you see what the psalmist is talking about? He's talking about all the negative things in life that they are almost overcoming them. Lord, they are lifting up. What am I going to do? What will I do, God? I cannot control the flood. When the last time you've seen someone controlling a flood? Hmm. Verse 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. In other words, regardless of how the floods of life are approaching you, that God is mightier than the floods that are coming your way. God is mightier than that. What is it? 
What are you anxious about? Guess what? God is mightier than that. Verse 5. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house. Oh Lord, forevermore. Whatever it is, whatever it is, God is mightier. Amen? Whatever is plaguing you, God is mightier. Do you believe that? You don't have to be anxious. Why? Because God is... You don't have to worry about your kids. Why? Because God is... You don't have to worry about your finances because God is... You don't have to worry about your house because God is... You don't have to worry about your marriage either because God is... But you've got to get to God. If you say that God is mightier and you don't get to God, then God is not mightier in your life. You're just playing a game. If God is mightier, you have to do what the mighty God says. Amen? God is mightier. Brothers and sisters, be anxious for... Be anxious for... Try it again. Be anxious for, be anxious for, be anxious for, be anxious for, be anxious for nothing. But get to God instead. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you because you 